0: Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. As we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone. As he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. In this edition of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with the general manager of the San Francisco 49ers, who will be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, John Lynch. Marshall Falk on a Monday night football game in Tampa.
1: I never had a guy hit me as much as John hit me in one
0: game. Lynch hit him so hard, it's almost like
1: a seismic blow. You can just feel the stadium shake. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. Today on the program, we've got a nine-time Pro Bowler. He's currently the general manager of the San Francisco 49ers. In August, he's going to be inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. Ladies and gentlemen, John Lynch. Johnny, thanks for coming on the show. What's up, Boonie? It's good to be on with you, man. Well, thanks. I, I've been waiting for this. This is a big one. This is a big one. <laughs> you were on uh, the two- it, 2002. It's good to, good to get on with you because, you know, we. I, it's like we, uh, we
2: both – hang out down in san diego both are have uh have homes down there but i never see you <laughs> i always hear about you we have we have a lot of mutual friends so it's good to at least get on a podcast with you
1: <laughs> yeah you know occasionally i drop by trevor's there's there's johnny over there in the corner <laughs>
2: yeah that's right that's right
1: uh, okay 2002 super bowl 37 uh you win the first super bowl for the tampa bay buccaneers second super bowl championships this year 2020 brady's buccaneers those two teams play who wins oh man i got to believe our team was uh was tough to beat i mean we had we
2: had a, a real strong nucleus and i always look back on that team and uh you know what a shame you, d- you never want to have regrets but i do have regrets with that team because we were probably a a quarterback, not not a Tom Brady, but just a like a, a long term quarterback away from having multiple Super Bowls, because our defense was certainly worthy of that, and uh, it had been built over a long period of time. Now, having said that, I also understand you're talking about the goat uh, that would be playing on that other team, but I, I do think our team was was uh, tough to beat that year. We were, we, you know, where this year's Buck team was a team that got hot at the right time, and yes, they did have Tom Brady, but I, I think our team had been built for years. We're primed and ready. And, and we were off tough to beat by the, by the end of that
1: year. And, and you know, being a layman football guy, me, uh, after Brady wins this year, you know, there was a lot of talk. And I heard, uh, you know, from a, long, a lot of longtime NFL guys, how impressive that was for him coming over from the Patriots, really not having a, a preseason, like a normal NFL preseason Learning that system so quick and winning a Super Bowl, is it as impressive as I think it is doing that in that short time frame,
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you add to it, you know, at, at, at his age, you know, and I, I do think that, um, you know, in a, in a COVID world, um, and it's, this is all the credit in the world goes to Tom, but you know, his, his leadership, I mean, um, we didn't have traditional off seasons, but if you were watching the the bucks and, and Tom, really, he did such a great job from afar of getting that group together. And they were work, working at a, at a private high school in, in, uh, in Tampa. And that's like, you're having coaches there. And so they probably were further along than the rest of the league because someone like like him uh has has the uh, cachet to call his teammates and said hey I want everyone here he doesn't even have to ask they want to go because <laughs> they they want to be fed by you know the greatest ever to do it um you know and in, in their minds and of this generation for sure and uh, tom did such a great job gathering that team and and they all came together and in you know I um that you know they they uh all the credit in the world to them. Um, you know, they beat a really good team in the Chiefs. We learned that the year before. Pat, Patrick Mahomes, who's a special player. And so, um, you know, Tom and that group did an did an unbelievable job. But yeah, I do think it was um, you know, doing what he did in his first year, um, that that was something
1: special and that's exactly what he's been throughout his whole career. Uh, and it is amazing too at his age. I, I remember retiring at, uh, I think I was 37, 42, 43. No chance you get me out of the field. I so, know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I
2: was feeling it's, good. It's, I played 15 years and I think I played till I was 36. And, um, you know, thinking I had feeling pretty good about myself and now you got guys well shoot just yesterday we <laughs> we had a guy win win the uh, pga at 50 years old so uh going on 51 here so um, maybe that maybe that uh that timeline's moving
1: yeah that's amazing with mickelson you know it, 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 once again people say oh golf you know it's no big deal you try walking it's not just it's not just being 50 but it's walking four rounds and playing against 25-year-old guys that want to kick the crap out of you to play at that level in those conditions yeah yes watching that i was like that that's incredible and all he did is really hold serve you know he shot one over pretty no awesome doubt. to watch yeah uh, no you talked
2: about the like the physical component of that and what i found so interesting in talking to phil like physically you know he he's had to work really hard, probably harder than ever before. But what he kept talking about as he got older was the focus, like maintaining focus throughout, uh, you know, the the course of a tournament, throughout the course of a season. Um, and you know, I I had similar experiences. I think your mind starts drifting, you know, and that's I think the greatness of a guy like Brady. Um, he's able to just have that laser focus and you know, there, there's something that when you're in your prime and those prime years, you know, it, and man, this is where my focus, you start getting older. Your kids are getting older. You start thinking, um, you know, about what's to come after you're done playing. But like, I, I found that so interesting that Phil said, that's been the toughest challenge is maintaining the focus. And he worked really hard to, to pull that back in. And that's what he felt like he did best at the, at the PGA. And, um you know i could identify with that late in my career i left camp in my 16th year and physically i was fine it was just the first time where i started saying man do i really want to be doing this at this time and you know in my mind the sport was too hard and if my mind wasn't all in then it was time to move on but um you know the those those are two great examples of just like the mental fortitude it takes to go on that long
1: yeah because you know how hard it is when you're when you're, when you're clicking on all cylinders, how hard, you know, any game at the highest level, even in your prime, when everything's perfect, you're a hundred percent. The game is really hard. Let alone later, like you said, when you're not able to focus, like you used to, it's like, well, it was hard when I was the best. <laughs> now, now imagine how hard it's going to be. Yeah. I went through some similar things at the end of my career. Like, man, now I'm half cocked and, and, uh, This is going to be fun. Doesn't sound like fun to me. Getting my butt. (laughs) Chasing sliders off the black. That doesn't sound fun to me.
2: That's right. No doubt.
1: Anyway, I want to hear about John Lynch, the baseball player. You were born in Illinois, but you went to Torrey Pines High School. I got two juniors in Torrey Pines. Can't wait for him to finish school. (laughs) Empty nester. But tell me about uh, your childhood, Johnny
2: no it was great um you couldn't have had a better childhood i was i was my family uh my parents are both chicago uh folks and grew up with big families irish catholic families in chicago but my dad uh my dad had a cup of coffee in the nfl was like a 15th round draft choice of the pittsburgh steelers uh you know played for parts of two seasons and then said i got to go make a living for my family and uh went to work and uh he was in in, you know, the broadcast world was in radio and then got an opportunity when I was probably nine months old. So that brought us out to San Diego and, um, the rest is history. That's kind of where we were raised. And, you know, I think back when you're talking baseball, um, I always wanted to be like my dad and make him proud. And so to me, that was like, all right, I want to play in the NFL. Now I look back on it. My favorite times in childhood, though, were were playing baseball, and my dad was was our coach. You know, his radio station at the time was ninety one X, so we were either ninety one X or Tony's Call, which is still the you know the the Mexican restaurant down in Eden Gardens, in Solana Beach, and um, you know those times were just so good. I played my brother. You know, I remember when I was twelve years old, my brother played up and was a nine year old, maybe an eight year old. We we messed with his birth certificate so we could play together (laughs) and uh you know those are just fun times playing little league ball your dad coaching you and um you know really just having a blast uh, playing ball and and uh um so so baseball was was something that really probably came more natural to me than than football but um you know and i loved it i loved every second of it went on the torrey pines and you know, San Diego is a, you know, a great area. So you could get great competition in the summer leagues. And I was always balancing football and baseball and uh, loved both of them and was able to go on to Stanford that had a great history of guys that had done both sports. There was Elway at the time when I went there, there was a, I was a quarterback and there was a quarterback there, a guy named Brian Johnson, who ended up catching in the big leagues um, for some time that played both sports after me. There was guys like Toby Gerhardt and Tyler Gaffney. So they had a long history, their their baseball coach Mark Marquez, longtime uh baseball coach who's no longer there, but he actually did it himself and so they had a track record of of being successful with guys playing the two sports and and so it's kind of what I knew my whole life and and then um was drafted in what was it? 91, you know, by the Florida Mar- or maybe 92 by the Florida Marlins in the second round, Charles Johnson was their first yeah. pick. I was their second pick. And, um, that was fun. You know, it was, it was really good times. And, uh, at, you know, I went, I went back for my senior year of football and I really hadn't had a ton of success because I was a quarterback convert. And so my mind was really baseball was where I, I, I was meant to be. And that, that kind of was where, where, uh, I thought my career was going to go. And then I came back my senior year, Bill Walsh talked me into coming back because I had played some safety and, and then I, I really found that's where my heart was. And so I, I, I left baseball, went into football, but, uh, baseball was a huge, part of my my childhood and and uh you know thought for a long while that that's that's what i might be doing professionally and and uh, so i have nothing but fond memories from playing baseball
1: when you talk about you, you growing up football baseball you're balancing both through high school you're playing them both at the highest level obviously you go into college and, and play two sports the kids today um you know we seem to and, and i've just grown up you know, uh, I'm in the same areas as where you went to high school, Torrey Pines. My kids went to Torrey Pines. And it just seems today the kids, the parents, and I think it's the parents, really want their kid. you know, we're really going to just fine-tune on one sport. When we were growing up, it we were encouraged. Play basketball, play football, play baseball. I, I personally think playing other sports – uh, really adds to your sport that maybe you're going to excel at. I think football playing peewee football for me just as an example. I think that taught me things about the game of baseball, playing hoops uh, up until my sophomore year in high school. You know, not that I was this great basketball player, but it but it taught me things in basketball. I, I got you know, I got little things out of basketball that I didn't get on the baseball field, but it helped me on the baseball field. How do you feel about the kids today? And because I've always encouraged the kids play everything you know the you're probably not going to make a living at it anyway especially the kids you know i i was coaching uh trevor hoffman and myself our mutual friend we coached our kids in travel ball you know and it seems like at the beginning trevor and myself would be looking at each other like are these parents for real (laughs) we're just trying (laughs) we're just trying to have fun with these kids and if little johnny's not playing short pitching and hitting third and fourth they're going to move on to another team and and i just found like man It was simpler. I I think you can learn a lot from their sports. What is is your thoughts on kids today just playing one sport and, and just getting lessons versus playing all three?
2: Yeah, in in every respect, Brad. I th- I think it's healthy uh for kids to to play multiple sports. I mean, they they got to first of all, that's got to be in their heart. Um but I I think it's physically healthy because I think every sport that you play, you know, I talk football, baseball. My freshman year, I played uh basketball and you think of like uh, important moments or years in your life. I played for a basketball coach that was a dad of one of our players, but he had played basketball at the Naval Academy. And so this guy, I mean, like the first two weeks of practice, we never touched a ball. It was running those Indian runs where the guy in the back goes up to the front and he'd turn on the clock and, you know, we'd, we'd, uh, we'd play the, play the game and, you know, without a ball, just running those deals. And when I got in the best shape of my life and, and I really like grew from that. And in terms of mental toughness, physical toughness, all of it, this guy just hardened us, you know, and so those experiences, um, the athleticism I gained from that, you know, and I think they all make you better. I think basketball, you know, a sport like that uh, gives you spatial awareness. I played a lot of soccer growing up. And so I think all you're doing is developing skills that are going to translate to the other one. And then mentally, I think you never get burnt out on anything because you're going from one sport to the next to the next. And, you know, we recently, our kids kind of got caught up down in San Diego and and, in our girls did more so in the soccer element. Um, and uh you know, with surf soccer, and it's really good soccer they got a great program, but it starts ruling your life. I mean you're gone every weekend you're and when we made the move up here, we put her in a in a private school, she does all her sports there, and I just see how much happier she is because she's not in the car all day long. She stays after school, she does her sport, she gets home, and she goes from one sport to the next to the next, and I've never seen her happier and I think it actually you know you're I, there's this pressure that you're worried about getting left behind. Well, if all these kids do is play soccer, they're going to pass me up. And, you know, I th- I think there there might be some merit to that, but I think at some point it always catches up. So many of those kids that spend their life, you know, driving in a car and playing soccer and that's all they do or playing baseball and that's all they do, they end up burning out either physically or or mentally and um you know i think it all balances out and i think you're a whole lot happier and the family's a lot happier as well um so i you know i wish we'd have a movement i i I see signs of that that maybe there is a movement towards returning to it but then you also see you know these club sports have become a business and and people taking not advantage i don't think their intent is wrong in most uh instances but uh you know, really, it's become a business. So yeah, I, I do feel strongly, and you know, we even seen it at at this level. You think quarterbacks like a kid like Patrick Mahomes, he played a lot of baseball. Russell Wilson played a lot of baseball, and I think you see it in the way the position, the defensive line is so good these days, and. You know, they've, they, they're so big and athletic. Well, these guys better be able to, uh, not be a statue in the pocket and you better be able to throw from different arm angles. And usually the guys that have had a, a bat, uh, a baseball background just understand that middle infielders, they know how to to lower their arm angle. They know how to throw on the run over to first base. If they get a slow roller, you know, all those things, I think complement the next Zach Wilson, this kid who was the second pick out of BYU. He was a, uh, he was a basketball player, a point guard. And he just, he, there's a creativity to his game because I think it comes from being a point guard. So I think it enhances your ability in other sports and, and, um, I'm rambling because I do feel passionate, like I, I think you do, that that it's just it's healthy in every way for kids and I, I wish we
1: would do more of that. Yeah, I think you mentioned Mahomes. That that brings it up for me. You know, I watch Mahomes throw. I I don't know if the game's ever seen it, the the angles that he throws from. And it it you're right. It's a direct correlation. Like that looks like a shortstop making a tough play in the hole. Whereas a guy that was just, you know, at quarterback camp his whole life doesn't have that. But Mahomes was probably a shortstop. And probably been out there a lot making that throw, you know, on a baseball field. And and obviously it's it's serving him pretty good right now. I I just think that rare, you know, it's the exception, not the rule. You know, there is that rare kid. That, that he's a baseball player, he's a football player, and he's a passionate kid, and that's all he cares about. And, yeah, he's going to be great no matter what. It wouldn't have mattered if he played all three sports. But I think I think for the, for the general well-being and, like you said, happiness, we, we never seem to worry about the kids being happy. And that's what I always point to the, to the uh, parents is, listen, this, if, if your son is good enough at some point to play at a higher level, this game gets serious soon enough. So when he's in Little League, let him go get a snow cone with his buddies, go four for four. So one day when he's 25 years old and he looks back and, and he has fond memories of those Little League days, like, wow, that was fun. Remember when we took our trip to Arizona? Not, man, dad made me go to all these coaches, <laughs> you know? And I look yeah. back, I said, because if you're being honest with these parents, listen, little Johnny uh, – and. Not you, Johnny, but little Johnny's got no chance. But he's a good kid and he's a good player. Let him be a ch- let him be a child for a minute. You don't get these times back. And uh now uh, I could go on for days about it. Obviously, you're you're passionate about it, but uh yeah, it was just an interesting thing I thought about. Uh, so you go to Stanford, by the way. I can't stand you guys. My dad <laughs> went to Stanford. <laughs> All right, for those out you listen to the boot podcast, you probably know I went to USC. My father went to Stanford, and that's all I ever hear about. You know, <laughs> uh, brother Aaron was a was a Trojan. I was a Trojan. My daughter was, and we got dad as as the lone Stanford. And he, anytime the big game's coming up, or uh-huh. he, he's got always something <laughs> to say. Matter of fact, I was born in in California, and I lived on campus with my dad up in uh, Palo Alto my senior oh, year. Wow. He, wow. he told me to mention that when when he heard you were coming on that the podcast, but uh, I want to talk about that Stanford and you had a real unique career. You you mentioned Mark Marcus. And and I think that's really interesting. Mark Marcus was the first baseman on my dad's Stanford team. He he kind of, he kind of reminds me of the uh, Phil Mickelson. He's that left-handed guy that wears the watch on his right hand. And he'd be sitting there throwing those pebbles Mm -hmm. during the game. And obviously a long time, kind of a legend, uh, baseball coach at Stanford. And I think I hated you because in those days, uh, you know, the late eighties, early nineties, Stanford was kicking USC's butt. It seemed like every time we went out to sunken diamond field, we, we'd get whooped. But, uh, talk about your time there. You had a real unique thing. Like you said, you went to Stanford as a backup quarterback. Uh, you're going to be inducted in the hall of fame later, nowhere near a quarterback. And, and 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 the Bill Walsh thing—that's really interesting to me. You get drafted, like you said, second round, Florida Marlins. You got You got. You already got a jersey in in the Hall of Fame. I think it was the Erie Sailors. Sailors, fir- right. <laughs> yeah. You threw the first pitch. Your 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 jersey's in the Hall of Fame. But you sign. You go out. I checked your numbers out, man. You you had a. I think you had a two three. Total pro. That's, that's getting it done. And I just was thinking last night before you told me all this, why did he quit baseball? Obviously, if you're going to be a Hall of Famer on the football side, it makes sense. But why not a Deion Sanders? Why not a Bo Jackson? Uh, speak a little bit about that college experience. And uh, I, I want to talk about Walsh a little bit because he was instrumental in bringing you back for that senior year when you maybe thought in your mind uh, you were going a different direction professionally.
2: Yeah. So, you know, I I came into Stanford or, you know, a a pretty highly recruited quarterback, um, thought seriously about SC, but uh, the year before me was Marinovich. And and so, you know, he left after his sophomore year. But at the time, like, you know, I'm thinking, holy cow, like that that guy, if you remember his recruitment, probably the highest recruit recruited player our country's ever seen i mean he was i'll never forget being a like a recruited athlete at the uh at the coliseum for sc notre dame and i was down on the field with all the recruits and at the end of the game it was lou holtz and larry smith and they didn't sprint to shake each other hands they sprinted to get to todd morenovich first i mean he was he was so coveted and um and so sc kind of got thrown out my sister was at out at, at uh, sc i married a trojan and uh you know so there were there There were a lot of people that I knew that were SC and, and uh, you know, I was a fan, but with Marinovich there, I said, no chance. I'm not going there. And then Stanford, like I said, had such a tradition of, uh, of guys who did both sports. And I think, the reason being, their, their head coach had, had done it. And so a lot of places back in the day used to say, you know, they'd bring you in on football scholarship and say, yeah, you can play baseball. And you'd get there and they go, you're not playing baseball. <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to be in spring football. And Stanford really held true to that. And, you know, I, I'm, I have great memories of You know, being in our uh, in our spring football game, playing in that and then going over and relieving, you know, be be, uh, closing out a game in baseball. And so just tremendous, uh, tremendous memories. I had played on some great teams there my my true freshman year. Jeffrey Hammonds was a was a true freshman, but we were playing with Paul Carey and Mike Messina and, you know, Stan Spencer was a was a great pitcher at the time. Tim Griffin, uh, San Diego kid, played played at San Diego High School, went off that year and had a bunch of home runs. David McCarty were on those teams, really good baseball teams. And um, that year was the number one team. And, you um, no, you know, I, I, I never went to Omaha. That, that year we were going, and I stayed back to try to win the starting quarterback job. I remember Coach Marquis really trying to sell me on going, you know, because I was starting to play a bunch late in my true freshman year. But I said, coach, I, I have to, I'm on football scholarship. I got to stay and compete for this deal. And my thinking was we'd go back every year. We were so good. I think we only had lost eight times that year and we never went back. They started the super regional and we were in it each year and never went back. So, um, but yeah, so, so football went well. I, you know, my quarterback, it, it was, it was going well. I was the set number two quarterback from the day I, I walked on campus. I really just got impatient and uh, you know, going into my junior year, I was still the number two but competing for the number one i thought i had won it in spring they gave it to the other guy and at the time baseball was going well you know baseball i think you get identified earlier i threw hard and so i had always thrown hard i had good sync i was playing outfield i was you know so i was kind of doing a little bit of everything and i had a good idea that um although I wasn't a star because I could never focus on baseball enough, um, you know, the scouting community was high on me. They were coming out of high school, and and um, so, you know, baseball was just going well, and football really just hadn't taken off. I, I switched to, to play safety my junior year um, and, you know, played about 50% of the snaps. So I'll never forget, you know, it's something I'll talk about in my Hall of Fame speech, you know, um, getting a call one day and Bill Walsh, Denny Green had taken the, he had done a nice job at Stanford turning the program around and the Minnesota Vikings hire him. So who's going to be our coach? And we're thinking all these college names out of the blue. Somebody talks Bill Walsh into coming back <laughs> out of retirement and he comes to be our coach. And, and I got a call one day and I thought it was my buddy's pulling a prank on me because they said, John, this is, this is Bill Walsh. And I said, yeah, right. And he goes, no, really, this is Bill Walsh. And I'd love to talk to you. You know, I've been watching our our film from last year and uh, you know, I know you have this opportunity with the Marlins, you know, congratulations on that. But I want to tell you, I thought you were our best defensive player. And I I remember, you know, I summoned all my courage and I said, coach, with all due respect, I played half the snaps in my first year. Like, what are you talking about? And he goes, no, I I believe you can be a Pro Bowl uh, safety in the NFL. Like, would you, would you consider, can you do it first of all? And, and would you do it? And, And so we talked to the Marlins. I took less money for the opportunity to come back my senior year. They altered my contract and I did. And, things took off in football and, uh, really kind of found that that really was my passion. And, and so, um, you know, I, I had a great time in minor league baseball. I played in Erie one year, the next year played in King County for the King County Cougars in the Midwest league. And, uh, then the draft happened and was drafted yeah. in the third round by Tampa and, and uh, started playing and, and, um, you know, uh, I, I think I made the right decision, um, yeah, but, uh, you, you know, at the time, a lot of people didn't think I was too intelligent. How do you give up a, a career in baseball to, to, you know, to go play for the Bucks? But uh, it worked out.
1: So, so, okay, you say, okay, so your junior year, you're drafted. Okay, you go to Erie. You pitch, uh, probably a short season at that time. You come back for your senior year. You have a really good senior year. You get drafted in the third round by the Buccaneers, but the draft's in April. So you're probably just starting your minor league season. So what is your thought process going into that draft as a minor league pitcher?
2: Well, you know, I had, I had – things really took off my senior year at Stanford. I played really well uh, in football. And so by that time, that's kind of really where my heart was. But I still had to had to um, allow the draft to happen and, uh, and all of that. And I my agent at the time was Lee Steinberg, and he was at the, the top of the industry. And Jeff Morad was the baseball arm of that, of Steinberg and Morad. And they came up with something that I somehow signed off on that said, hey, either J- draft John in the first round of football or he's going to play, um, he's going to play baseball, and then he went to the Marlins and said, "You, you could buy, you know, you guys can, you, you know, there's a price that John can be bought out of going in the uh, NFL draft." And I, I was like, "Lee, that's not what I want. <laughs> Maybe what you want." Well, just just listen to me, young man. I think I can make it happen. And uh, it actually ended up backfiring because then people questioned, "Do I really want to play football?" So I ended up going in the third round. But I think as a, as a show of my commitment, I, that's what I really wanted to do. And I think the Marlins started to feel that. Uh, it, it was funny back then, you know, if you were a pitcher, which they had made me, you know, you really didn't touch weights and you didn't lift weights. And I was there lifting weights really hard. And I remember that the head of the minor league, um uh, a guy named John Bowles, good man. But one day he got real upset with me because he saw me lifting and he said, you're not lifting to be a baseball player. I, I've seen that kind of lift and that's football lifting." <laughs> and and uh, he was right. I was getting myself ready for the football season. And, and so I think the Marlins kind of figured it out. And it, it wasn't that I didn't love. I, you know, I actually think, Brett, had I, had I stayed a position player, Um, you know, I, I probably um, would have been more inclined to play baseball. I was, I got a little bored in that I was a, they made me a starting pitcher. And so I was always used to playing two sports, playing three sports, playing football, playing baseball, playing every day when I played baseball. And this was the first experience where I'd pitch one day, I'd be up, with the gun the next day, <laughs> I'd be charting pitches the next day. And I was frankly a little bored. I like, I was like, Oh man, do I ever get to play? Um, and uh, but uh, you know, football was really my passion. And, and so I, I just kind of followed that and, and it served me well, it, you know, it, it really did and, and had a great time with the Marlins and all that, but, but football w- is what was calling me. And I just really listened to my heart. And, you know, I think when you do that, good things tend to happen.
1: So you go to the Buccaneers. You end you end up being there for uh, from '93 to 03. and uh, you weren't a starter right out of the gate. Took you a little while, and and it seemed to me just just looking at your career, it, it seems like things started to go in, in a real positive direction for you uh, when Tony Dungy took over '96. I think that was he brought in uh, him and Mike Tomlin because in '98. Is is when you start off your string of uh, of Pro Bowls. Ninety eight was your first one. Tell me about that transition from from college football, college quarterback, now NFL safety, and and how the early goings were for you in Tampa Bay.
2: Yeah, it, it took a lot of perseverance because here here I had left a promising baseball career with the Marlins. Um, and gone to the Bucks and the Bucks at the time, and we were more commonly referred to as the Yucks. We were not good, um, worst franchise in all the sports. And I'm not getting on the field there. And, you know, I find out later that I was kind of in a tug of war where the head coach, Sam Weish, he, he drafted me because he was close with Bill Walsh, and Bill implored him, hey, you've got to take this guy. He will make your team better. Well, Floyd Peters was our defensive coordinator, and he was hired by our owner, Mr. Culverhouse, in, in Tampa. And he he got to say... Because he was hired directly by the owner, he had he had actually the call as to who played on defense. Well, Floyd didn't want to draft me, Sam did. So I was in a little tug of war there. And and that really messed with my confidence. And I, I look back on it and I I think the lesson is, man, you, you gotta you gotta believe in yourself because you know, you mentioned Tony Dungy. and before Mike Tomlin it was actually Herm Edwards and those guys were so instrumental. My career I had finally won over that defensive coordinator, Floyd Peters, in about year three, started splitting time and really took off i felt like year 4 and 5 were really good good years for me um and then uh in year f- Uh, five, I believe uh, Herm and Tony came in and Herm and Tony right away had a vision for me and saw something in me and started just kind of speaking into existence. Like, I don't don't know, pretty similar to the talk Bill Walsh had with me years, uh, you know, four years prior, which was like, I don't know what the previous staff saw, but here's what we see. We see a guy who can play at a Pro Bowl level. And then I go make a Pro Bowl or so. And I'm always been thankful for Herm Edwards and Um, because, you know, you, you talk about, sometimes it takes other people believing in you and Herm, when I came back from my first Pro Bowl, um, you know, I'll never forget saying, Hey, okay, Herm, how do I? I, I, now I want to take the next step. What do, what do I do? And he goes, well, it, it it first starts with your, your expectations. You got to change your expectations because you're thinking Pro Bowls. You know what I'm thinking? And I go, no, he goes, I'm thinking Canton. And I said, Herm, I've been to one Pro Bowl, you know, in all these years like that, you know, and, that, and that's good. But like, he goes, no, you, you're not hearing me. You can, you can be in Canton at the end of this, but it doesn't matter if I believe it, you have to start believing it. And, right there, my career changed. And, and I think I started having higher expectations for myself and, uh, you know, my confidence changed. All of a sudden you start running a little faster. You start feeling a little better yourself. And it, Yeah, I think in in a league, you know, it when you get to the highest level, um, there's not much difference between the, you know, there are some freak players, the Barry Sanders of the world that are just better than everyone else. Um, But the rest of them, they're pretty clumped together. And so how do you separate yourself? Work ethic. I always worked hard and I always felt like I outworked the competition. But then it's belief, and that, you know what do you what do you think? Do you expect yourself to to make plays in in big situations? Well, right there, I started believing that, and I think my career really changed, and started playing my best ball, and did it enough, and played long enough that um, you know I never would have thought it, but here we are going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame this August, and and uh, really just got you know I've been blessed, man, got a chance to uh live a dream uh be around great people uh who who saw more in me than i did and and uh that's what can happen when 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 all those things come together
1: tell me about the tampa too
2: yeah so the tampa too the interesting thing about that is you know i think people always when there's something that becomes great. Everyone wants to put a name to it. And, you know, I think that the misnomer in that when, they, when they say the Tampa two, they're talking about a two deep coverage where split safeties are, are back and you have five underneath. Um, and, you know, the Tampa two, the Mike linebacker ran down the middle of the field. So that was something that was unique to our system. Tony Dungy had picked up that in his time at, at as a player for the Pittsburgh Steelers, but we really committed to it. But, it's a misnomer because, you know, people think of my career and I was down near the line of scrimmage a lot. So half the time we played where I was down and that's not the Tampa two, but they just needed to name it something. And, uh, the Tampa two was something that was unique to us. Um, and so, but I think the the genius of that defense, uh, we didn't do a whole lot, you know, it was complex enough, but it, the, the, the genius of it really was the simplicity. Um, we, we, purposely didn't do a lot so that we could play fast, you know, we could really not overthink it read our keys and go and then when you had players, you know, in the 1995 draft, they had a pretty good draft. They drafted Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks in the same first round. And that really changed that for franchises and our defense for sure, our fortunes. I had been there for a couple of years. Those two came in and right away you could say, you could see these guys are different. And um, they helped change the culture. Coach Dungy did and that defense just grew, and we were kind of the three that were there from the beginning on all three levels. You had Sapp up front, we had Brooks, and then myself, and then all of a sudden you're doing it long enough, you start adding guys like Rondé Barber, or Simeon Rice comes around, and so we had a lot of really good players, um, but we, we pushed each other hard. We, we played extremely hard, and we had a lot of fun doing it, and like I said, I look back, the only regrets I have is that we didn't, we didn't win more because that, that team was capable of, of winning
1: multiple Super Bowls you know, and as you alluded to, that's, you mentioned the names you mentioned, that is, that's one of the best defenses ever. Now, let's get forward to Super Bowl 37 and you become a Super Bowl champion. Uh, every athlete in every sport, that's what we dream about doing. How was it for a year? Take me through that that Super Bowl a little bit. Well, it was awesome. I mean, you have to put yourself in my shoes. Not only, um, you know, so we had gone
2: from the yucks, uh, SAP says it best, you know. We we'd gone from a third third world country to the Taj Mahal, you know, because we were so bad. It was the organization was just stuck in futility, and so it took some people coming in, some players really saying, "Hey." Um, we're going to change the mindset here and, and we're going to take it over. We're not, like, to all due respect to the, uh, with all due respect to the veterans that were there, um, a lot of good guys, some good players, but they had been mired in losing so that it affected them. And so it took some young guys coming in and saying, no, we're not doing things like that anymore. We're going to change it. And then it took some really good players like the guys I mentioned. So we get there. It took, it took 10 years, um, but we got there. For me, it took 10 years of my career. It was in my 10th year, but then to do it, uh, in the stadium that I grew up as a Charger fan, and we went to every game, every home game. I and mean, it was a great part of my childhood. And we, we were Charger season ticket holders. And to play that game there in front of my whole family my parents are there, my grandparents are there. Um, we have a huge family. So all of them were there. It was it was so great. And then to beat the Raiders, you know, who, uh, you know, if you grew up a Charger fan, you grew up hating the Raiders. And so all of that combined, you know, I met. Imagine it's sweet any way you do it but to to win it um, was awesome and uh and you know those things are hard to come by i mean I, i look at guys like brady and that's you just marvel at the accomplishment because it's hard to win one and then you see a guy like that who's who's won seven and and uh it's just it blows your mind and uh so um it it uh it was. That's what you play for. You play to win championships, and and that uh, uh, you know people say it, and it's true. And you do understand that. That's something that no one can ever take away from you. You know, records are broken, but no one can ever change the fact that we were Super Bowl champs, and it's an awesome thing.
1: So five five Pro Bowls later, you went five. You go to five Pro Bowls uh, as a Buccaneer, uh, and later later on in you know, after you retired 2016, they end up uh, putting you in the Ring of Honor uh, in Tampa Bay. Um, but then it's time to move on to Denver. Now, you know, for for a guy, not too many people get to play in one spot, especially these days for 10, 11 years. Yeah. You were at the Buccaneers a long time. Moving to Denver, how was that for you? Uh, from a personal standpoint, was it was it a? I don't know. Take me through that 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 change for you. you, you
2: yeah, it turned winner. out great, Brett. I, I was devastated, yeah. just to be completely honest, when, because I had that dream of of, you know, I'm a San Diego guy. So going to Tampa, it was an adjustment. I didn't like it early. I wasn't playing, but we learned to love it. You know, if you're someplace long enough, you learn to, you know, your, your kids are growing up. They're, they, you know, their friend group is starting to get established. They're starting to get in school and all that. And I, you know, we were big in the, in the community. We had started our foundation doing scholarships with kids and you give your heart and soul to an organization. And you know, my thing was driven by injuries. I had a neck injury. I had a year, the year after our Super Bowl, where I really just struggled to stay stay on the field. They had a new general manager, and he had come in, and they kind of were evaluating things. I had a big contract. Um, they had said they were going to rework it and instead they, they kind of pulled it late. And so all of a sudden I was a free agent. Um, and man, it threw me for a loop because I had those visions of playing my whole career in one spot, but you, you know, quickly, you, 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 uh, you can get angry or you can find them, find another place to play. And so we started looking and thank, thank God there were a lot of teams interested. I had just come off neck surgery, but you know, I had a good prognosis and so, you know, I remember it came down to New England at the time. I, that would have been fun, playing with Rodney Harrison. Um, they got nervous on my neck late. I, I likely would have gone there. Uh, but New York Jets, Herm Edwards was their head coach, so I thought about going up there. Um, and then Denver was really Mike Shanahan uh, took an interest and really recruited me hard. And, I, you know, part of the appeal uh, Denver is a great place to live and it would bring us further out West. And, and, uh, so I took a leap and, and went to Denver and a man, it turned it out, uh, turned out to be a great place for my football career. And then we ended up living there as a family for 11 years. Um, you know, always kind of got home to S- San Diego in the summers, but Denver really became our home. So it couldn't have been better. We had some good teams, uh, you know, lost in the AFC championship game, but we played some good defense, played with, you know, Hall of Famers like Champ Bailey. And, um, you know, it was a, it was a great experience, loved living in Denver, and it was a really good place to rebound. And, um, you know, unfortunately we didn't, we didn't win one. We had aspirations when when we went there of, of, of winning the whole thing, never got that done, but, uh, Denver was an awesome place for our family. And, uh, Still have a ton of friends there, and
1: and we'll always be a part of our lives. Like you said, it was great for your football career. You're, you you go to the Pro Bowl all four years that you're in Denver. Ring of Fame 2016, along with the Buccaneers, so you're in both now. Uh, and then and then your time in Denver's done. Oh seven, and uh, you sign with the Patriots in oh eight, and I don't think you end up playing at all. Uh, you end up retiring that year. And how did you, how did you know it was, it was time? I, I look back to when I retired and I retired that I came out of retirement that I, <laughs> I went to camp with, with uh, the New York Mets and that passion that, you know, that young, when you're young and you taught, talk, we talked about focus early on in the, in the program, I didn't have that anymore. And I saw young players running around with that it factor, like, wow. He's having fun and this is work for me. I end up going back and and coming out of retirement and going to camp with the Washington Nationals. And that's where I found that, you know, physically for me at that point, I think I was 37 or 38. It was just too hard and it wasn't worth how hard it was going to be for me uh, to – to what was at the end of the rainbow. I'd, played on, I'd been fortunate enough to play on some real good teams in my career, but I was at a Washington Nationals team in 2008, and I looked around that field, and you know how it is, John. You can look at a team in spring training, and if you're realistic with yourself, you can pretty much have an idea what type of team. I looked at that team, and I said, well, <laughs> not, not only am I half as good as I used to be, but we stake, and we're going to lose 100 games. Is that worth it for me? They ended up losing 100 games. I ended up retiring out of out of spring training. But I had some closure. You know, I got in great shape for that. I got ready. It was just my time. Um, did you have a struggle with retiring? How did you know it was your time?
2: No, I, I did have a struggle. I, I, you know, I tell you, after year 15, uh, I had made a Pro Bowl, played at a high level, um, but, you know, some of those same neck issues were starting to creep back in that I had had when I left Tampa. I, I, you know, that year where I left, I was having stingers every time I hit someone. And for four years, I had the surgery, it worked, but it was starting to just come on. Um, and so, you know, at the end of that 15th year, and so I said, you know what, I went into Mike Shanahan at the end of the year and I said, Coach, look, I had visions of winning a Super Bowl here with you. And I know that's why you brought me here. I'm sorry we didn't get that done but it's been tremendous. I, th- I think my time's up. I think 15 years to go out on top, not winning one, but to come off a pro bowl year, like I'm happy, man. And and I can't thank you enough. Well, Mike's a good recruiter and Mike didn't want me to stop. So he worked on me for about a month and he got me, he talked me into coming back, but I got to camp and you could see that team was in a little bit of a rebuilding mode and uh, they weren't ready to win right then. And at the same time you know i had always been a guy i think who loved the game and it's funny in this role you talk about guys that that infuse energy and excitement into a building and then the energy vampires guys who suck it out of it and i had always been a guy um you know humbly i say this because i just loved it i loved everything about it that i think brought energy and i infused energy and i loved the game and so um you know i i think i brought energy and that year i i felt myself in training camp start to be a guy that that wasn't that guy anymore and i always said to myself i'm not going to be that guy and you know at the same time very much like you said i saw this team's not going anywhere what what am i doing you know uh, you know damn it mike you talked me into coming back and and now i was paying the price and i i just i i uh i thought to myself, man, this isn't it. And so I went to Mike and, and told him and he said, so you, you want to retire? And I can respect that, John, if you've really thought it through. And I said, yeah, but I'm not sure that I'm done. I just, I know that right here, right now, and Mike, Mike and I got a little, uh, it's funny because I work with his son now (laughs) and so now we can laugh about it, but we got in a little standoff because I said, ah, I don't want to retire. I'm not turning my retirement. I may play someplace else. And he goes, well, I can't let you play someplace else. If you're going to be done, you got to retire. And so anyway, we worked it out. I thought I was done. I really did. Um, But I left that that open. And and then Bill Belichick started calling me and saying, hey man, we screwed it up last time, Um, you know, like i said they they got concerned about my neck we screwed it up when you were a free agent and i'd like to rectify that now i've always respected you i'll be patient um but we'd love for you to come and so i went home and spent about three weeks i kind of worked out um and bill was persistent he called in the beginning, it was like every other day. And then I, I, I think he felt that I was starting to get the itch, and he started calling every day. And about three weeks into that, you know, our conversations, I uh, I went back to New England. And it was probably, I, you know, I played really well right off the bat when I got to New England. They had a specific role. But about a weekend, it came time to move my family. Well, they were happy in Denver. And I said to coach Belichick from the beginning, I'm not doing this alone. Like I got kids. I got, we, at the time we had uh, three kids. Actually we had all four by then. I said, we, we have all four kids and I'm not, Coming out, living in New England while my family's in Denver. If we're doing this, we're doing it all together. And it came time to move them. And I remember right when I was calling my wife, saying, "All right, come on, this is going to work." Like then saying, "What am I doing? I'm uprooting my family. I'm not even sure that I want to do this." And then every day I went to practice, it was just I wasn't feeling it. And uh, you know, I remember going in, and and I always appreciate this about Coach Belichick. I was in camp about three weeks. and him saying, you know what, I think you are, I think you're homesick. Why don't you go home for a week and, uh you know, see your family. And then I think your whole view will change. So I did that. And then he said, now you got to come back. I came back and I came back just out of respect to him to say hey, that only convicted me more that, that my time's up, Bill, I, you know, I'd love, you know, I appreciate the opportunity. And even then he, he. You know, this is, I think, somebody who has experience, has perspective. You know, in the NFL, you have a 53-man roster, and every roster spot's really important. But that season, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave. We're only going to go with 52 guys on our roster. I'm going to leave a spot for you for the first three weeks of the season. And sure enough, he did. Um, He was kind of testing my commitment to not playing. Um, But by then, you know, I think on week three of the season, I just said, hey, Bill, I'm done. And, uh, you know, we left on really good terms. So, I, you know, I I did know. Everyone always says you'll know when it's time to hang it up. I I certainly knew. And it was just that feeling about being excited to come to work each day. Instead, it, it started to become a drag. And I was more interested. I had always, you know, and you know this, to play at the highest level, you have to make a lot of sacrifices. And I had sacrificed, like, playing a lot of golf with my friends. I played some golf. But I was hanging out with some guys like Elway that were retired and they were taking all kinds of golf trips. And that was the first year I started doing some of that. As opposed to staying home and training and, and right about then I just kind of knew something switched. And that's where the admiration for a Tom Brady because you know you have to give up your life to play at a high level, particularly at that age. And when you're stop when you stop being willing to do that. Um, that's, I think, when you know, it's time to move on and, and that those were the signs for me.
1: Yeah, very cool. And and it is. I mean, it, but isn't it so nice when you finally you get some closure like you can look in the mirror and go, I did the right thing and I know for sure. Now, chapter two of my life. Let's let's see what I'm going to do. I think there's something worth that because you always you, you said you always left that little crack in the window like, will I will I will I and when you finally rolled it up, it kind, kind of gives you a little a little freedom and, uh,
2: it yeah, does, that's, it does. Yeah. And, you know, and then, you know, Brett, you've, you, you, uh, you know, financially this game, uh, can be very good to you, particularly when you play for a long time, So it's not like you have to do something, but you find out that you're really young (laughs) in in the real world. And you're like, all right, now what the hell do I do with myself? And, uh, you know, I was prepared. I'd gone to a great school. I had done some things to kind of set myself up for broadcasting. But I was intent on, you know what, I'm going to be, I missed a lot of time with my kids. I'm going to jump into just being a dad. And that was awesome. But I, I always tell this story. I was driving my kids everywhere. And there was one time about three months in that first year out of baseball, and I I came to school, and we were in Denver, and all the moms, you know, I was used to driving to school, all the moms one day said, hey, you know, You know, after after drop off, we all go get coffee. And we were thinking, since you're always dropping off, maybe you'd like to come with us. And I went home and I said, Linda, it's time for me to get a job. (laughs) She said, what happened? And I said, all the all the moms asked me to go get coffee. I can't do this anymore. (laughs) And so that's that's when I called up Fox, who had offered
1: me a job and said, all right, it's time to go to work. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. And you jump right in the booth. (laughs) I mean, look at me now. I'm in my 50s. Now I'm getting into this side of the industry, the, the radio and the TV stuff. You did it right out. I, that's a smart way to do it. And when I was, uh, I was looking that you, jump right in the booth right away. Similar to what my brother did. You know, he had it kind of lined up when he retired. He'd been networking before and preparing. He went to ESPN. Eventually, he became a manager in New York Yankees. Similar to you. You go to the booth. You have a lot of success on, on the other side of the mic. You know, I call it the other side of the mic for, for us players. that We're always doing interview. Now you're bringing the news to us. And then uh, 2017, 49ers come knocking. You're the general manager. In your wildest dream, when you were setting up for, for your broadcasting career, did you ever think down the road I want to I coach or I want to be a general manager? How did that come about?
2: No, I really didn't come out. Uh, I always had this vision of getting into broadcasting. I just watched, you know, a lot of guys who I had a lot of respect and admiration, Troy Aikman being one, Daryl Johnston. And, uh, you know, one year uh, we always have a bye week in the middle of our season. And, and uh, you know, Fox called up and said, the NFL on Fox and said, hey, during your bye week, we would love for you to come uh, out to our studios and, and, uh, you know, it's a great way to see if this is something that you'd like to do. And, and some, one of my teammates, Hardy Nickerson had done it the year before and he said, it's awesome because the guys that all the decision makers are there at studio. And so I went out and I, I guess I, I did a decent job. And so they essentially, this was like year 10. And they basically told me, Hey, when you retire, um, you know, we, you've got a job, we'd love to hire you. And so I kind of having that in your hip pocket was a great thing. And so broadcasting was really where I was, where I was going. Um, I had told you when I uh, was in Denver, John Elway was done playing, but we had the Stanford connection. Uh, My high school football coach, my senior year was John's high school football coach. So I got to know him through that. But when I arrived in Denver, he was done playing, but still living there. And he was he was just so gracious. He called up and said, Hey Johnny, you know, I know you're here with your family. Let me help you. You know, if you need help getting into schools, the country club, you know, I'll just tell you, kind of give you the ropes of Denver. And he owned, he owned Denver. He was, he, I mean, John was the most popular figure in Denver, but he was really just a good guy. And we became, we started a great friendship then started doing a lot together and then playing golf together. And when I'm hanging out with him, then all of a sudden he took the dive into to doing the general manager role and president of football for the Denver Broncos. And so I got to see it with him. And he kind of made this whole thing possible because the first year he said, hey, Johnny, I'm jumping in. You know, we have a whole scouting staff, but I'm going to kind of, you know, see what these guys, if I'm comfortable with them all, but I'd love some eyes that I'm comfortable with, you know, for the first year, could you, could you in the draft, could you study the safeties and give me a presentation on them? So took a lot of pride in doing that. John liked it. The second year, he said, Hey, how about let's expand that. And you do all the defensive backs. I did that and took a lot of pride and put a lot of work into it. And then the third year, he said, look, I know you're doing the broadcasting. I think this helps you in your broadcast stuff and uh, gives you kind of a a different look at it. And uh, am I right? And I said, yeah, I enjoyed doing it, Johnny. He said, well, why don't you come in and do the draft prep with us in person? I was living in Denver, so I said, you know, why not? And that's when I first got the hook, you know, because I got to see all that went into it. And, uh, really just said to myself, man, you know, broadcasting's going well. Um, but if, if the right situation, uh, ever presented itself, which I thought might be for like the San Diego chargers when they were still down in San Diego places, I really wanted to live or just that made sense. I, I was like, you know, who knows, maybe this would be an option. And, and so years later, the thing in, in, I, you know, I, I got to know Kyle through broadcasting a lot of these games and, uh. Looked like he was going to get uh, uh, the the Niners' job, and I I called him one day because I had just broadcast a a uh, a. Uh, divisional game in the playoffs that where he was with the Falcons and they beat the Seahawks and and uh, I just said, hey Kyle, you were masterful like in calling the offense and looks like you're gonna get this Niners gig so congrats there. How's that going? And he goes, you know, I'm just struggling. I really want to get someone who I I'm really excited about working with on the personnel side as my general manager. And um, you know, out of the blue, it just I just blurted out, well, what about me? <laughs> and he, I remember him saying like, well why would you want to do that? Like, you've got a great job at Fox and isn't that awesome? I mean, you get to work a little bit, but like you get your football fix. Would you really, you know, uh, be you know, or not even that you'd never be interested. And I kind of said, yeah, you're right. Kind of laughed it off. Well, like three days later he called back and he goes, man, I can't stop thinking about that. Would you really consider doing that? Cause I'd be fired up about it. And at that point I said, geez, I don't, I kind of was joking when I said that. Uh, but that he said well just fly up meet with the owner there and I did and and you know 2 days later I was the general manager of the 49ers so it kind of came out of out of nowhere and um uh, but having a lot of fun doing it um it's a commitment there's no doubt I I think a lot of people look at it and don't know all that it never stops it's it's full time but uh, it is fun, and um, you know we're we're building something I think pretty good up here, and uh, came close to winning the whole thing. But uh, you know I'm I'm intent on seeing that through. This is a, a proud organization that's won a lot, has real high expectations, and we're trying to b- bring back a, um, another championship to the Niners.
1: What didn't you know about being a GM that the last four years you go? All right, now I know. <laughs>
2: Uh, just like we were talking before, um uh before we got on, um, it just never stops, man. It's just it's never ending and there is always something because we're a football organization. Well, what's my job say? Okay, you're you're along with your head coach Kyle, you guys are in charge of everything football. And the coach can really just coach and deal with players and Kyle does more, you know, he's very involved in the personnel, but you know, I gotta run a team and yes, there's a business side and all that, but um, yeah. Just all that went into it. And then you leave and your phone's going crazy all night long. And it just, it, it never stops. And and so I think that's what makes it really, really exciting and cool. But it's also like when you, when you get time off for the summer, the brief time we get off, like you, you really need it because, um, it is, it's, it's all encompassing. It's all in and these businesses are growing. And so like, it, it's just, there's a lot to it. You kind of think, Oh, all you do is is uh, pick players and draft them and free agent and, and, and all of that. There's so much more to it. And uh, I, I do enjoy it, but that, you know, you have to rely on, on surrounding yourself with a great team. And uh, I think we've done that well up here.
1: So as we've alluded to several times, or I have uh, big day for you coming up in August, uh, you're being inducted into uh, Canton, Ohio football hall of fame. Um, interesting story. I don't think you got a phone call, did you? Well, first I want to set the tone. I've had Edgar Martinez on. I had uh, Trevor Hoffman on. Guys, that I think Edgar got. He made it. You know, the rules are a little different for football and baseball, but but Edgar was on his final year of eligibility, and he made it. And I asked him that question. You know, uh, did you think that it was never going to happen? I'm going to ask you the same question. You'd been really close a couple times. But in the back of your mind, were you thinking, ah, is this ever going to happen or it's never going to happen? What was that thought process for
2: you? Yeah, I kind of went through the gamut of emotions. I'll I'll tell you, though, people in the league, peers that I played against, uh, you know, former teammates, um, you know, they were the ones who kept me encouraged. Look, it's happening. Like, just, just, no, it's, a, you know, you're at a position that hadn't had a lot of love, the safety position hadn't had a, a lot of love in the hall. That's been changing. And, um, you know, it took longer than I ever expected. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I think God does things for, you know, he always has a plan and, and works in mysterious ways. And I, I think the blessing for me, you know, the, the the way they do it in football is that, you know, they bring all the, The finalists um, to the to the Super Bowl, and then you sit. It's actually quite brutal. You sit in a hotel room with your wife, you know. And if they knock on your door, it's a good thing you're in. If if they call you, well, it's to say, hey, sorry, it didn't happen. And David Baker is just a tremendous uh, man, he's the, he's the head of the, you know, the president of the pro football hall of fame. And he had called me seven times, you know, this was my eighth year as a finalist. And he'd feel so bad every time he had to tell me. And so, yeah, there were some times where I said, you know, I I don't know what I did to these people, the voters, but it's not happening. You know, I, I felt like I belonged. Um, but I also knew like, it's an interesting thing because everything you've always done, you can go make something happen. Well, my resume had been written long ago and you're relying on a bunch of, of writers who work really hard at it and it's a tough job. Um, but they weren't seeing it for some time, but they all kept saying, even the voters, they're not supposed to, but they'd come up and say, Hey, your time's coming. You're getting more traction every year and I think the blessing that happened this year, we were down at our house in San Diego, it was championship weekend uh for football. We had just gone to church, everybody was at our house and Uh, that made sense because we were leaving the next day and we always have our family over. And, uh, you know, we're about ready to sit down for the games and I hear this giant knock on our door and I told one of my kids to go get it. And Linda, my wife was just, Hey, you need to go get the door. And I thought something was strange, but then I heard this big knock and then everyone followed me to the door. And so now I'm going, what? but I still, I, I didn't pick up on it. And, um, you know, next thing you know, a big knock, I open the door and there's Big David ba- Baker, who if you haven't seen him, he looks like Babe Ruth. He's the you know, huge man with his huge head. And <laughs> uh, you know, I, I said to him, like, David, you you better not be here telling me no. And so um You know, the point of my story is to get to experience with my parents, with uh, with my wife who had been there since my rookie year with my all four of my kids are there, my sister, my brother, everyone got to share it. And so I think it it made it the right time. And and, uh, it's going to be an awesome experience, you know, just to i uh, you know, be leaving training camp, so I'm a little nervous of that, leaving our team. But, you know, it's only a few days, and you get to go experience it. It's, it's, we're going to have a fun party and uh, celebrate with, with uh, the people I love most and my teammates and, and uh, family, and it, it will be awesome.
1: Very cool. That, that is very cool. But you were on to it. You're like, wait a minute. Something weird's happening. Kids aren't – they're not listening to me. They won't open the door. My wife's looking at me a little strange. What are you guys doing?
2: <laughs> yeah, we, but that, know, the, that's the pretty day cool. before, you know, you know, Stephanie Meyer, Rick Meyer, um, yeah. you know, yeah. you know them. And so Stephanie and my wife are real tight. And Stephanie's over there and we're leaving. Um, you know, we were it was Sunday, we were leaving Monday. And they're buying plants They're but they're like redecorating our whole house. I'm like, what, are you, what are you doing? We're leaving in a day and we're not going to be back for three months. Why are we buying all these plants? And so I should have known there were like 50 signs that something was up, but I didn't pick up on it. <laughs> and uh, thank God I did not because the surprise it's, was awesome.
1: It's not my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. Um, what are you most proud of?
2: Yeah, you know I gosh I in in anticipation for Canton um you know as a professional athlete I think one thing when you have a lot of success you don't spend a whole lot of time reflecting on what you've accomplished because everything's about the next season you always have to prove it and so you you really don't do that you do when you retire and then this hall has made me kind of reflect on a lot of things and i think i'm just proud that uh you know i persevered and you know so many people face so much adversity and my adversity wasn't growing up in the you know in the projects or anything like that i grew up with a really nice life and a childhood with both parents and i was loved and all that um you know but when i got to the league as you talked about it wasn't like instant success but i persevered and thank god for people like my parents who always taught me to to dream big and all that. But thank God for people like Tony Dungy and Herm Edwards that saw that had a vision for me before I did for myself and said, like, here's where you can go if you believe it. And, and so I think I'm most proud of that, that I persevered, my dreams came true. And, you know, I always think like, I, I think of the times I was most proud. Um, You know, I think in year six or seven, I became a captain for the first time of an NFL football team. And then I was every year after that. And that was always a proud moment because the teams I was on, the players always chose that. So every year I never took that for granted. When my teammates said, we'd, we'd like you to lead us, man, that was a, that was a humbling experience. And so that's probably what I'm most proud. And then, you know, that's in my football career. But of course, um, you know, absent of that, you know, um, in, in life, it's, it's my family, you know, my kids are, you know, they're, they're just awesome. They're, they're great kids and their mom has raised them well and did so much when I was working and all that always has. And I'm just proud as can be about that. You know, one just graduated, our third just graduated from high school and I just take so much pride in them and, you know, not what they've accomplished, but just who they are as people. Um, you know, I take a lot of, a lot of pride and I'm incredibly proud of them. And, um, you know thank god for them each and every day
1: well john lynch i just want to thank you this this was really really cool uh you're a class act what a great career uh can't say congratulations enough i know that's going to be such a special time in august when you're going in uh but yeah really appreciate you coming on the podcast and what we do here each and every time on the Boone Podcast, at the end, we bring back the voice, Dan Levy, to ask a question for the fans. Dano?
0: Gentlemen, how are you? All right, John. Doing good. What's up, Dan? All right, John. This one comes from Gary in Denver. It's a two-parter. John, tell us about getting fitted for your yellow jacket and posing for your bust for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, so the
2: jacket story is not really exciting. They had us just send a <laughs> send a jacket to <laughs> to Canton. So I sent one of my sport coats in. They match it. So you know when I put that, I haven't received my coat yet. Um, so that wasn't too exciting. The bust, on the other hand, that was pretty cool experience. I uh, I actually the the guy Blair Buswell who does the the uh, bust and has for a long time. He he's a, he's right outside of Provo Utah and so this year we we were scouting quarterbacks i went to the BYU pro day and that was my opportunity and then i had to sit with them for like 8 hours and so oh, wow. um you know brought my wife and he just he's got all these pictures from throughout cuz they're trying to match the bust to your playing days not you know how you look now i think uh a lot thinner, uh, (laughs) a lot better shape back then. And so they try to match it to that. And it's a fascinating process to watch this happen. You sit there for eight hours while he's kind of working on it. And he, he does all these measurements on your faces, pretty fascinating process. And, um, you know, and then he doesn't let you see the finished product. And so, you know, I'll be surprised like everyone else when he takes, when, when my son, who will be my presenter takes off that the you know the hood to that bust and um you know pretty cool process to go through and uh, something that will live in perpetuity so that that was a really cool part of that the
0: whole process that's very cool and now the second part who from the hall of fame are you most excited to spend time with when you go to canton
2: yeah so you know all of them uh you know there's something that I've always heard about. Um, They call it the Ray Nitschke luncheon. And uh, Ray Nitschke was a Hall of Fame linebacker from the Green Bay Packers. And apparently he started this luncheon. But basically you go in as the new class and all the Hall of Famers, and no one else is allowed in the room. David Baker, the president of the Hall of Fame, he's never been in there because you have to be one of the 350. After this year's class, there'll be 350 members. You have to be one of them, and they go in, and they just – I guess it gets emotional. They talk about what being, what being part of that club means and, and how it's going to change your life going forward. And so I think that's probably what I'm most excited for for that um, – Uh, that part of the weekend and then just getting to celebrate with friends and family. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that.
0: All right, John Lynch. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thank you guys. All right, Boone, you know that sound. Uh, Mailbag time. Mailbag time. And this first one comes from Alex in Portland. Brett, do you have anything of yours in Cooperstown?
1: Alex, I do. Uh, I think I've got – shoot. I've been a part of a few things. I, I think I have something from the 2001 Seattle Mariners team. I have a couple items in there uh, because I think they have a display of uh, my family in Cooperstown from Gramps. they got his stuff and the dad's and Aaron's and myself. Uh, I think I have a glove in there one year. I set the all-time record for fielding percentage at second base, and I think I have a bat in there from Mike Cameron and myself, and, and I believe it was 2002. We went back-to-back homers twice in the same inning, so wow. I think they asked for my bat. So, yeah, once in a while, as a, as a player, you get you get asked to, hey can you donate that piece and and usually more times than not you're you're more flattered that the hall of fame's asking for something so pretty much whenever they asked for something uh I was more than happy to oblige
0: all right and do you get those pieces back at all or is it just gone goodbye? Nope.
1: gone well, when you go there I took my kids uh to the hall of fame a couple of years ago we took a tour and they gave us the private tour down in the basement i got to see a bunch of my stuff and i said hey this is dad's look <laughs> <laughs>
0: Actually, that and is, they, they rotate at
1: cool. the Hall of Fame, too. They've got so much stuff in the basement, all packed away, and drawers, and all everything's labeled. It's amazing, the stuff they have. And then they said, you know, time to time, they just rotate it, and they always make the Hall of Fame different. They put different displays out all the time. Uh, you know, and they do that, like, every whatever their time frame is. I don't know if it's six, eight months. They freshen it up and, you know, put out new stuff. So it's pretty cool, always revolving.
0: Very cool. Very cool. All right. Let's go back into the old mailbag. All right. This question comes from Bill Hollister. Brett, when you're playing every day with a with a Hall of Famer like Chipper or Junior, do you know that they're in another league while you're playing with them, and what's the difference between them and everyone else?
1: Um, There was only one player I ever played with that was different than everybody else. And that was junior. Um, I can't really explain it. It's just kind of a – it's almost a Jordan type thing. I, I would think how NBA players that played with Jordan or probably may, maybe currently even playing with LeBron. Just a different level. Chipper was such a great player, uh, tremendous player. But Kenny, there was something – that's a once-in-a-lifetime once – Type thing, and, and I looked through the, you know, I looked through all my years of playing and all the great players and, and the Hall of Famers that I played with. Uh, there was just something different about Kenny because he could just do it all. He's almost like a superhero, you know. Jeez. And you'd watch him, and the game was so easy for him, and 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 it was like, does he realize the rest of us? It's really hard what he's doing. And it it wasn't just hit, hitting; it was running; it was. Throwing, it was playing defense, just everything, and, and it's tough to explain it in words. It's just kind of, it's just kind of a known thing. Like, yep, that guy's different than the rest of us.
0: All right, well, that is going to do it for this here Brett Boone podcast. We want to thank John Lynch for jumping on the podcast with us. That was quite awesome. My name is Dan Levy. I'm the technical director and producer of the Boone Podcast. Executive producer is Rich Herrera. Digital content gets handled by Liz Landry. Please share the Boone Podcast with neighbors, friends, and all those who love sports. And make sure you subscribe to the Boone Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, give it a five-star rating and share your feelings about the Boone Podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boone Podcast, I'm Dan Levy. Thanks for listening.